So in the first of our Ergo Sells Out series, we're here with an ad for you. I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. And uh, today's ad is for Overcast. Do you like podcasts? Uh, I'm still coming around. I'm lukewarm. Do you like them when they sound really good? I do. I do. I think they should sound great. Then you clearly have never listened to our show. <laughs> but you might use today's sponsor, which is Overcast. Overcast is a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now to listen to Ergo. Because we're not even on there. But we like it, especially if they pay us money. You can get it for free on the App Store. Go do it. Enjoy the show. Well, hello. Hey. This is Ergo, WHBK, ErgoRadio.com. Mm-hmm. I'm Kiss. I am Damon. I almost said I was Damon. Well, you can be. I can't be. <laughs> you can be you, I can be me, and thank y'all for tuning yeah, in. Yeah, your response is much more accurate than mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, we have a very special guest that we're excited to share the interview with you this week. It is a recorded one we did it on Tuesday. This is the first time we've had a cancellation and then like had an episode ready, ready to, go, to go. In the pocket. So uh, We work hard. We, we're diligent for you, for you mm-hmm. hardcore Ergo listeners. If you just like can't go a week without listening to us ramble and interrupt people yeah we're making sure that that is not something you have to deal with come on we're bringing it to the airwaves before we get to this great interview a couple community announcements you got anything first i do i do um breathing room let us breathe collective uh the 20th saturday the 20th uh there will be a tribe day so part orientation part gathering food workshop performances Great thing, 2 to 7, 1434 West 51st. Say the day one more time. Saturday, the 20th. Okay. okay. And then the 27th, mm-hmm. it will be a nighttime, you dig, black magic, kickback, 9 p.m., 1 a.m., come rock with the breathing room. One of those you dig. Yeah, it's definitely a you dig. Another communal announcement, uh, releasing tomorrow, Malcolm London's coming with the Right Away series. Shout out to Malcolm. We were at the listening event last night. Yeah, it was very fun. Shout out to that young open bar. Man. F- much love to Malcolm. On that. This, that was the first time I've been socially drunk in a while. Yeah, and you were very happy, very social, oh, man. very drunk. I accidentally networked and everything. <laughs> there were business cards <laughs> Yo, Oh, my God. He broke his toe at all, was cutting a rug, had man. a great time, had a blast. And this Shout is a community announcement. If you have an open bar... Invite we us. will come. Yeah, invite us. We I'll be there. We will certainly come. Absolutely. We need more open bars available in the city. Yeah, the yeah. Public. We need a Rolodex. By the public, I mean us. Yes, we are the public. <laughs> Here are the other community <laughs> announcements. It's actually a great weekend for music in the city. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Via Rosa has yes. her birthday party. Shout That's out. That's Friday Via. night, tomorrow night uh, at Sub T on the bill. Of course, Via will probably be messing around and doing something, but Luna Day, formerly of Highness, who we've had on the show, Sen Morimoto, who we've been working on getting up here, who is raw as hell. Um, and then drama, drama duo, which is Via and Mathian doing a DJ set. So that's a Sub T tomorrow night. That's uh, not yell. It's not Mathian. Oh, whoops. She has many like yes. one-on-one collaborators. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. shout out to you for knowing that. <laughs> um, you can get tickets online or just get them at the door. They're 10 bucks at the door. Also on tomorrow night, on tomorrow, uh, Soul Patch is just the best person in the world. Mm, borderline. A, a delight. Like make it in the running for best person in the world. Uh, they're having their Chicago release for the new project, Garden City. Uh, we'll tweet out the info. Um, but I listened to some of the project. It's really good. And... One of the tracks is produced by my brother, oh, which is real cute. Oh, all on the family. And then lastly, Saturday night, 
uh, is the next edition of the Hoodwazi. This one is going to be a good one. It's at the National Museum of Mexican Art. It is featuring Alderman Carlos Daniel Rosa, who was on the first one mm -hmm. uh, back on mm -hmm. Inauguration Day a year ago. And the musical guest is Ergo Alum Kaina. Oh. And it's, as always, free. What a delight. Come say hello to me. Come hang out and have a great time. Anything else you want to throw in there? That's all I got. Uh, No, I'm content. All right. I feel that. pretty content, too. Without any further ado, let's get into our interview with Ashley Ray. Actually, a little bit of a do. Ooh, there we go. Pretext. Uh, we had a, I would say a technical difficulty, but it was just me messing up. Uh, my mic like is kind of cut off for the first 10 minutes or so. You can still hear me, but it'll be a little quiet. It'll sound better um, if you're listening on the podcast, but if you're listening live, uh, just, just know that you'll be able to hear me loud and clear in about five, 10 minutes. <laughs> so Ashley Ray is a <laughs> hilarious writer and comic and cultural critic here in Chicago. We had a great conversation with her. Let's get into it. Hello. Hey. It's Ergo. Radio. On WHBK. 88.5 FM. Ergoradio.com. We can't keep this going. Ooh. Oh, that was <laughs> smooth, though. I am Damon. Shout out Post Loudness. This is where we at. Shout out Post Loudness. Wizard Radio. Studio C? Yes. Also, shout out the uh, Chicago Podcast Co-op, which if you've noticed recently, we've had some ads up top mm -hmm. that's because we are fully selling out. Yeah. And uh, that is courtesy of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. So shout out to them for welcoming us in with open arms. Thank you for the coin. Absolutely. Cut the check. Yes, always. Um, we have a very special guest here. You've already heard our community announcements. Our guest is a hilarious writer and comic culture observer and i could do sound effects here studio c absolutely we didn't bring the intersectionality bell ah uh, uh. we'll have to come back to that. i've never interrupted myself on the intro folks i'm so glad to be here and correction you've definitely interrupted yourself on the intro there's no way we should just rename the show interrupting ourselves yes. <laughs> with chicago's <laughs> interrupting our intro <laughs> so as we always like to start Two-part question. How is the world treating you, and how are you treating the world in this time? Whether that be today, Ooh. week, season. Yeah, I think right now the world is being pretty pretty darn nice to me. Um, 2018 just seems full of possibilities, even though things seem so dark and dire. Uh, but personally, you know, doing great, booking shows, having a good time, like loving all the people in my life. Here on Ergo. Um, here up. on Ergo. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I'm just out here trying to do this work and, and just stay focused and try to make people laugh in this miserable hellscape that we currently live in. And I think when it comes to the world, um, I'm really trying to approach the world with more uh, affection, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. I think we could all use that. I think it's really hard to be angry and upset when, like, 53% of white women voted for Trump and you just want to burn everything down. Uh, but I'm just trying to... Or at least 53% of things should be burned down. Yes, 50... <laughs> yes, in direct correlation, 53%. If I'm walking down the street, 53 cars are getting oh burned. <laughs> yes. That joke is way better than the path that I was working down. That's <laughs> just science right there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm just trying to have affection in my heart for these people. That's I'm going to run back Hammurabi's code. Ooh. Nine for nine. That's and what I, I'm yeah. going for. 53% for 53%. Hashtag Hammurabi. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really excited to have you here. We've we've kind of circled each other, and I've seen you do your thing in different capacities on Hawazi, and I've read you know some of your writing and your 
prolific social media in which we'll get to. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I do think one of the most important things that I've observed was in prepping for this. I was doing a little research. I was watching a clip of you on YouTube, and the first related video was Kanye West on Death Poetry Jam. <laughs> I don't know how you pulled that off. <laughs> I just thought that was uh, Oh, that has nothing to do with that. Kanye yet. West That's... has done that. <laughs> Kanye put some strings for me. <laughs> it's actually kind of super embarrassing. Um, I am a comic and a storyteller and a writer now, but uh, in my youth, I did spoken word poetry. Ah. Uh, and there were lots of videos on YouTube of me doing spoken word, and I competed in some Def Jam poetry. Okay. <laughs> spoken word slams, and uh, I think that's how that Kanye video came uh. up. Just because there was a time when Ashley Ray was synonymous with spoken word <laughs> in you, New did England. Did you, like, kill it in the slam? I did. I feel like, like you probably did. I had the voice. I had the rhythm. You know, that classic, like, and so if I say yeah. what it is that I say, was do it, you feel that way? W- yeah. Was it really well-packaged sadness, or was it funny? Uh, I usually would use spoken... <laughs> funny now, but at the time, I would use spoken word mostly when I was in, like, sh- crappy relationships, mm. and I would use them as a way to, like, break up with my partners. Mm. Like, oh, remember, yeah. Oh, that, that wins yeah. every time. I remember one a good breakup home? Like, yeah. Oh, can't oh, stop yeah. it. I remember one guy being like, I feel like you're being kind of distant, and, like, is something wrong? And I was just like, no, babe, everything's fine. And then I competed that day, and my poem literally started with, I could never tell you that you don't fulfill me anymore. <laughs> and that's just how the poem started. And he was just... <laughs> we didn't make it. We didn't make so it. semifinals or to the next week of the relationship? So the, ne- the next day, pretty much, he was like, I have a feeling that poem was about me. Oh, he did hear the poem. Oh, yeah, he was in the room. He was in the room and just was like, I think you just told me. I think you just told me that I could never excite you anymore. You know, we've, had, we've had many, many poets up here. Um, and fortunately, like we happen to know some of them that are actually not terrible. Um, yeah. So like this is not, not to say that you are. That's not what he was implying. <laughs> oh, we can freely admit no. that my college poetry was awful. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, people Which is who a whole nother whole, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is me, like twenty one. Like yeah. Yeah. Just killing Cupsy. Yeah. Just running that shit. Just all me. My like big poem. My like finisher was one where I would just be like. <laughs> I don't hook up. I fuck. Ooh. And it was just me being like, yeah, yeah I'm hardcore. Ooh. And just like being a horrible, horrible college student. But all respect to legitimate spoken word poets <laughs> yeah. who are good at it. <laughs> but I think it, it, it teaches a lesson, which is, and this is something that we've talked about before on the show. And I talk about extensively, which is many good things are corny adjacent. Yes. Yes. It's, it's how can you keep yourself on the right side of yeah. that perilous line. And many good things that feels is like done mostly entire... poorly. Like, like, <laughs> like most people who do some of the best things oh, don't yeah. do that them That feels well. like the entire career synopsis of Chance the Rapper. <laughs> it's just... Yeah, no, I think yeah. that's a valid point. We're starting to do that. But for you, where, uh, how, how do you dodge the corniness? Either in other people or... Yeah, I think in my own work, it's it's really easy to be corny as a comic. I think a lot of times it's really easy to see the easy joke or if I'm writing a TV review to be like, oh, this is like the thing I could harp on that'll like get the emotions going. Um, but I embrace being corny. Mm. Like I'm absolutely corny. Mm. Uh, and I think it's just embrace the corny and then scale it back. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you about, about this because 
Mm. You were the theoretician who has brought who's brought corny adjacent into yeah. the world. Corny adjacent. And I no. and I know I know it is a constant struggle and a constant <laughs> part of your lens. Yeah, <laughs> so 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 how do you handle the corny? Well, when someone says, hey, you're teetering on the line, I always believe them. <laughs> <laughs> There's no pushback. No, yeah. You're ready for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Any, yeah. Anytime someone, like if an editor is like, this part was a little corny. It didn't really fit. I see what you're going for. I'm just like, let's cut it right out of there. We didn't need it. You, I can't just, it's, it's one of those intention versus impact things. Like no matter how much I believe in it, like, if it's corny to you, it's corny. It's corny. Um, and then, yeah, I just try not to ever pretend that I'm anything. I'm, like, I never do. Yeah. Like, if you listen to me talk, I always pretty much sound the same. I, like, don't ever wear ridiculous clothes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that are, like, not um, yeah, that's that's kind of my, yeah. my guidelines is. I also try to have really efficient, like, corny radar. Like, mm. you know, I'll be, like, looking at what other people are doing. If I'm like, oh, that's corny, I'm like, oh, don't do that then. Yeah. Right. You well, know? that's the biggest thing is what the things that make me angriest when other people are being corny, it's because I'm afraid that I see them. <laughs> Which I think is Ooh. everything's a projection. We're getting real deep real early. Yeah. How about you, Dave? How do you, how do you dodge the corniness? I stay at home. <laughs> <laughs> Stay, stay off it. Corny <laughs> True. <laughs> corny at home is just domestic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's just that's nice. That's a good time. <laughs> so, so let's jump a little bit in, into the work. Um, before we get to the to the stand up stuff, which is I think kind of where I'm most excited to to get to. Yeah. Um, for as like people who kind of make media on fringes of scenes. Um, even though we're like talking about a specific scene, it's not like the most, you know, we, we have like a lot of long declarations about the mainstream, right? Like that's like a thing that we've done from time to time. You're someone who like covers in some ways more kind of central culture making. Oh, um, yeah. What is interesting to you about it? What is, what, what's kind of the lens that you bring to, to things? And just first off in general, like what do you typically are you typically writing about on the culture yeah yeah so uh i studied uh the history of black television when i was in school um and that's kind of what what like birthed this interest for me i had an amazing professor professor leslie brown and she just encouraged me to really dig into tv shows and the ways uh pop culture and just media in general reflect our histories and our stories uh and kind of just you know really become these these tools to define periods of time uh, so I started, you know, watching old shows like Julia, working my way up to like Living Single. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was able to at the same time connect these like huge historical moments and like, you know, just moments of like black feminism and tying them to like these TV shows mm. was really interesting to me. Uh, and so just like coming up in my career, I knew I wanted to write about TV and modern culture and the ways that TV speak to how we all kind of feel right now. Um, so that's like what I do is uh, I, I write TV reviews mostly for the AV Club. Uh, I write about The Shy and I write about uh, Scandal and Blackish. Um, and like The Shy in particular, since we're here in Chicago, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. you know, it's the show that we are all kind of hoping is able to perfectly capture the city. And I don't think any piece of media can truly actually capture something. Uh, but I think it's really interesting and insightful for us to examine why we have that wish and what we think it's going to accomplish. Yeah. I think. Have you seen it? I saw the pilot. I'd love to hear what you think. 
I think a lot of things, but to the, <laughs> in general and specifically. Uh, but I think to the question you asked about why maybe some of that standard of like accurate depiction is because it's called the shot. Like, yeah. it's not called, you know. Some people have been out. You know, it's, it's not called the hundreds. It's not called yeah. South Side. It's called the shy. Oh, yeah. It's it, very blanket. Yeah, kind and I, of. I think like people for some reason always say like, well, there aren't a lot of TV shows shot in Chicago, which isn't true. Which uh, is not so true. many shows shot here yeah. that aren't just, you know, Dick Wolf, Chicago PD, Chicago Justice, Chicago Veterinarian, Chicago, whatever it is these days. But there are shows like Empire and Shameless. Yeah, Chicago, <laughs> Chicago Ice Truckers. Like, <laughs> I would watch that, honestly. Yeah, just like the Dan Ryan after <laughs> snow. <laughs> yeah, just, like, <laughs> just up and down the street. <laughs> But, you know, there are these shows like uh, Happy Endings was supposedly set here in the league and there's a ton of sitcoms, but people just kind of, you know, Chicago's not a character in them. And the shy is very obviously trying to make a character out of our city. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think as Chicagoans, we are very um, protective of that. (laughs) We don't like when people come for for us. We can come for us, but you can't come for us. Do you think there have been any shows that have done like that kind of more honest reflection of white Chicago because there's like a lot of shows that are making the city a, a character I'm thinking about like easy and all this stuff but like they're showing oh yeah pieces of I would say easy is the quintessential depiction of, of the of white uh, North Chicago mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a Netflix show yeah it's a uh, Joe Swanberg and each episode looks at like a different character in their life so like one episode is set in Beverly even though it's like that's not Beverly but uh, one like one episode set in Beverly and one is set in like Pilsen and it kind of moves all around and looks at all these different people Uh, but overall like the content and the narratives are just incredibly like white focused and Mm -hmm. like very like north side like there's not a single moment where a character's like how do I make rent this month it's just like look at our beautiful apartment that's furnished (laughs) with the finest in mid-century modern furniture and like we're so rich so our biggest problem in life is that like we want to have an open marriage uh and you know that's cool and that definitely is true to a lot of people's experiences in chicago that is chicago you know i i don't think you can just have the shy. somebody's voting for rom yeah somebody's voting for rom <laughs> yeah and i don't think you can just have the shy with like its violence and gangs and not have shows like easy that are like but also, don't we all love Girl and the Goat? <laughs> like, but also, it's really nice to grab a coffee at Dark Matter. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I think you get those balances with pop culture, and that's why I love studying pop culture and so, writing about so it. So where are you with the shy? Because, uh, like, we, we have to, like... So the thing that's difficult for me with Empire... Yeah, we're yeah, 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 yeah. Because, because I was going to put you on the spot, but now I'm, I'm not going to deflect. I'm going to be just be more honest. The thing that's really difficult for me is this like forced appreciation we have of like where we have to remove all lens of criticism because there's black people on TV and there's black people (laughs) in Chicago on TV and then it seems to be like all of these pretty glaring shortcomings yeah and these like blanket representations that do not match the co- we, we, the corporate episode we did when we talk about Chirac so the shy feels like a we're gonna make an answer to Chirac and write it for the people from Chicago yeah but it feels to do a lot of the same things just at, with a better production budget yeah it doesn't sound like Chicago to me. yeah as someone who who writes in and studies black television and culture in particular I think the biggest disservice that I could do to black culture would be to um, I'm going to call this uh, Black Panther syndrome, mm. <laughs> uh, where like Black Panther's not even out yet, 
But people are already like, yeah. I don't care if it's trash. Yeah. We will support this movie. I don't care if it's the, the burden, worst thing. You know? Yeah, like, I don't care if it's the worst thing I've ever seen. As a black person, I will never admit that it is bad. Like, we will support it because if we don't, they will never make another black superhero movie again. Yeah, um, they could rename it Black People Need a Superhero movie. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I think, like, it does a disservice to television and to the media I consume to like approach it in that way to be like, well, we should just be thankful that finally there's a show on Showtime that's like showing black people and honestly like trying to show the violence in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I would never approach like a white centered show like that. Uh, so I think we just have to like just be honest about those shortcomings, which I think in my reviews, I'm I'm very fair some of the narratives don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Some of the the characters are not very, you know, well drawn out. Um, I think the women in the show, mm, yeah. I think that's the biggest issue. Uh, and I think uh, Lena Waithe uh, even said in an interview that she chose to focus on men in the show specifically, mm-hmm. which I think is weird because I think if you're going to write about Chicago, you can't write about Chicago without centering black women. Um, black women in Chicago have this amazing just history of being activists and change and causing change and I don't know how you come into Ida B. Wells City and say you want to focus on black men, but, you know, the show is working that out. And I think it's interesting to watch it develop and see, you know, what stems from that, what other shows grow from that. So I want to go back, excuse me, I want to go back to something you said uh, in your previous answer, which is, like, it's interesting what people are hoping, if there was an honest representation, what that would do. What do you think people hope? Yeah. This kind of utopic show would be. Yeah, I think that's interesting because, like, you know, okay, so we get this perfect TV show that, like, shows Chicago, like, you know, what, it's wonderful to be seen, and we would hopefully be like, well, that's going to be inspiring to people and stuff. But at the same time, like, you know, The Wire is what that is for Baltimore, and Mm -hmm. really The Wire is the only show that has ever accomplished this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. We all agree. (laughs) Good. The Wire is the only show that's really ever accomplished that. But like in the end, you know, what has that done for Baltimore? Like, yes, people are aware of this infrastructure that like causes these injustices and like that causes these people to go to prison and that causes this violence to be perpetuated. But, you know, is a TV show the answer? Yeah. Not necessarily. Even as much as I love and I've loved it, The Wire even falls short in, in, in some of it. And so like... The big thing with culture and black culture, the word that always comes back is representation. Yeah. Um, I'm beyond I, representation. Yeah, that's what, I, that's, that's what yeah. I was going to like. Is it time for us to... Sh- I, I really don't actually... I, need, yeah. I don't rock with that shit to me. Uh, yeah, like, neither do I. I need, I need more than representation. I think representation is a tool of neoliberalism. Yeah. I think like, you know, a lot of people will talk about, say, feminism and say you know, what women want is to be on the same level as men. Like, what we need are women who are CEOs and able to, like, take advantage of, like, these types of powers. And a lot of people want to turn that... presidents to bomb for Yeah, or (laughs) president, you know, like, oh, yeah, this president bombed all these innocent people, but he's a black president, so that's representation, and we should be happy. Um, But I think it's... I think we have to look at media beyond that because, you know, back in the day when it was like, okay, there's CBS, ABC, NBC, that's where... That's it. That's where media is okay, representation matters because there's so few places to be represented. But it's 2018. I can open my laptop and watch, like, 20 different, like, web series with, like, queer, poly, people of color. Like, people are represented. And, you know, people aren't consuming media in the same way. So, like, the stuff that's represented on Netflix might not be on Hulu or ABC, but it's there and it's able to be consumed. So we're at a point now where we really need to start looking into the messages behind that representation and what is this really trying to tell us. Because it's like where we are... 
where we are in like communication and technology, we don't have to be represented. We could just be present, right? Yeah, like we can like just be present. We, we can yeah. tell our stories ourselves instead of like the, the idea of Lee Daniels being able to, or you know, anybody yeah. on the shy being able to talk about what's happening on the nine. Like the way, they, the way, the way they just it's like you're not from there. Even if you are black, even if you are from Chicago, you can't yeah. represent. That, let them be present. Let them tell the story themselves. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I think The Wire is always the good counterexample because they had connection to those actual Yeah, and the people, yeah, the people in the show on, were, like Snoop, from, yeah, were from Baltimore. Yeah. You know, they lived there. They were on the streets. They were like literally just like seen and were like, do you mm-hmm. want to be in the show? Yeah. Um, it makes me think something that was said actually from Lester Wazi, Andrew from City Bureau said, like, this whole idea of, she was talking about it in the context of journalism, but I think it works here, of like creating humanizing narratives in quotes. It's like, that's a, the reason why NPR does that is because like white liberals like need the push to see people go as human, right? Like, yeah. But if you're making like engaged art or journalism or movies or TV, like that's actually not what's needed. What you need, you don't need to be presenting humanized images because people already see themselves yeah. as human yeah. you need to be giving them some sort of whether it's tv or journalism that they can use as a tool right so for you what do you think tv could be used as a tool for i think tv is a tool that inspires that motivates uh, i think television shapes cultural norms uh I was recently reading about uh, this ER episode from like 1994 or six, uh, but it was the first time. Definitely that, an even year, though. Yeah, definitely an even year. Definitely <laughs> there, a four there, or six. There was some voting happening. Watch me Google it later. It's 1995. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, it was about like ER and how like they fought to be able to let a character say shit on TV. <laughs> and once one character said shit on TV, all the other networks were like, well, we got to let our character say shit on TV. <laughs> and then, like, five years later, it was no issue to say shit on TV. And then, like, even people who are just, like, speaking, it becomes more normal. And now we have a president. Yeah, if y'all, just y- y'all watching the news. shithole. So, like. Yo, CNN was having a field yeah. day. Because not only did they keep saying shithole, shithole, shithole. Yeah. They did, like, all the conjugations. Yeah. Like, because <laughs> what's the dude's name? Ah, I forgot his name. But he's one of the, like, midday, like, big Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he uh you see my my dad put he 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 then showed all the tweets of like the the clan leaders and the neo nazis yeah. and they all had their own little derivative of shithole <laughs> they're like stop letting shitty people in and yeah. shit on <laughs> and he like, just repeated each and every kept, one of yeah, them with with quite it. a smile <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like you know, the New York Times made a headlines that was just like the president said shithole. And so, like, you know, not to say that ER is the reason Trump is president, but like ER is why <laughs> why we <laughs> ER is why Donald Trump is president. But it is a reason why kind of as a culture, we've become more comfortable with certain things, Yo. you know, like. We all eat ass because the song was like, you got to eat it like groceries. True. So now it's just a thing we do. And I think. <laughs> wow. Yo, the media is out of control. They're, they're losing their mind. You think this is the first president that's like called these places shit? No, I mean, yeah, like you no. think Nixon and. Like, but the Reagan. first that. This was only the. Oh, I'm Bush sure Nixon TV was. There's like. Videos of LBJ saying the N word. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, there's tapes of Nixon Woodrow saying Wilson, the worst yeah. things. Like you know, but in, I, in that time it was more like a back, like secret yeah. behind closed doors, and we're now it's literally wall. just the White House being like, "We're not denying that he used strong language." <laughs> 
and it's just open. And not only that, but we celebrate it. Like before it might be like, well, I don't appreciate it. But now it's like, no, he speaks the truth. Like he's just saying what's mm. on his heart. Um, well, not we, but not some, we. Peop- some, some people, people say that. Not me. <laughs> and what our policy has been for a long time is like, we're going to make those countries yeah. quote shit old, and then we're going to call them that. And then we're yeah. Gonna, you know. Yeah. If we want to get deep on the politics of it, yeah, yeah. I-, I was trying to let people but, slide. Yeah. <laughs> And let this be a let this be a fun episode. Maybe like, get some Bill uh, Cosby criticism yeah, or something. I, but I just think t- to bring it back, yeah, I think TV. But neoliberalism, nah. yeah, neoliberalism. But I just think TV can really open people up to experiences they had never really considered before. Um, actually, my my mom. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll do the short version of the bit. But uh, my mom is sixty three years old, and a few months ago, uh, it was probably about a year ago, almost now. But she she texts me while I'm on the Fullerton bus. I'm just like on the bus on my way to work. I'm like, whatever. It's like seven a.m. And oh, she sends I me. I didn't realize it was the boy. That, that's more extreme. Yeah, yeah, like 7 a.m. And my mom and I, like, we don't really talk every day. Like, we'll call each other when it's something urgent or, like, text if it's something urgent. But otherwise, like, if I have a text from my mom, I'm like, what's going yeah, on? This is a happy hour. And this text is, first Fresh of all, hour. just a Kermit the Frog gif. Okay. And it's just him, like, waving his arms around and it says, ah. And then underneath it... <laughs> Underneath it, my mom says, Dear Ashley, I am Dear gay. Ashley. <laughs> Dear Ashley, I am gay and or queer now. Go me. <laughs> and for me, like, I am queer. I was like, I grew up gay. Like, mm-hmm. from the time I was a kid, like, I was that cousin where all my other cousins were like, What's wrong with Ashley? And my mom would be like, Oh, she's just funny because <laughs> funny is black parent for gay. And so I was just always like that. And my mom, like, always had issues with it. She was always like, you're making your life harder. Like, why don't, you know, you're this is a phase. Uh, so for me to be like, wow, you know, I was like, my mom just came out. And I was like, was it because of me, mom? Like, <laughs> did you see me struggling this whole time? And, like, succeed despite my oppression how, how brave like, you yeah, are? Yeah, like, was it me, mom? <laughs> is that what inspired you to come out of the closet? And she just... <laughs> right like please, it wasn't me and she just goes what are you talking about and I'm like well what what is it and then she just goes oh you know that TV show on Oprah's channel own and I'm like you mean Queen Sugar and she's like yeah I love that show and I'm like I know we both watch it and she's like well if there's a character on there who dates men and who dates women. And I figured if she can do it, so can I. <laughs> so after all that, Oprah made my mom gay. Shout out to and Oprah. And that is the power of television. <laughs> yeah. She uh, she just needed a realistic representation. Oh, yeah. She just needed that real. And then my mom was like, you know what? That's totally doable. Oh, my God. That is an example of representation. <laughs> yeah. So now a year later, like, because that, that's the, the bit, but it, in, how is the conversation around... Like in the years since she told you that, how is y'all's relationship around queerness and your conversation shifted? And do you both? Yeah, watch Queen Sugar? Uh, we both still watch Queen Sugar. We talk about it all the time. Uh, I write about it sometimes, but we've just been completely open and honest with each other ever since uh, this happened. Like before, my mom kind of knew like Ashley's queer and she's poly. I don't understand it. Whatever she like would call me a slut, and I would just be like, "Okay, mom, good enough. You're not wrong." Um, but <laughs> I've, now, heard, I've heard worse. Yeah, I was like, "Okay, yeah, you're right." You're not wrong. But now she definitely uh, approaches it with, I think, more validity. Um, she isn't upset when I tell her like, "Hey, I have eight boyfriends and I'm just like dating all these people." Uh, she's just kind of like, oh, well, tell me about them. Like, which ones do you like and how did you meet them? And she's not, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, which one are you bringing to Thanksgiving? <laughs> uh, she's more like, I get it. Like, you know, that's not how you work. That's not how you operate. So. 
How many did you bring? <laughs> I don't even know. There's two that I would bring, but mm-hmm. you know, I gotta, I gotta weigh the odds. But who would you sit next to? Mm. And who would you just put at the far end of the table? Or are we doing a, a Thanksgiving Christmas rotation here? Mm. I would probably <laughs> let boyfriend number one a sit CTR. at the end. <laughs> CTR. <laughs> I'd probably let boyfriend number one sit at the end of the table because he would be fine by himself and can make conversation. And then I'd have boyfriend number two sit next to me because he's a little quieter. Oh, mm. that's kind. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not going to make you do the whole, like, I'm sure. Or I'll, I'll frame it as a question since that's what we're supposed to do. Um, I also realized I hadn't been recording my voice until now. So we'll yeah. see what happens. I'll make it work. Yeah. <laughs> just the recording was messed up. No, no, I haven't been picked up. <laughs> just laughing and reacting. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, but when you're, let's say, like on, whether it's like, you know, comedy panel shows or whatever, are you like, Asked to explain Polly a lot because we're not gonna. I don't want to make yeah. you do the thing that you have to uh, do a lot all the time. But I mean, I don't mind it. Like I, a lot of people come to me for like sex and dating advice because I'm I'm just very open about it. Like in my set, in my writing, uh, I don't hide the fact that I'm queer, that I'm poly. So like a lot of people, and I don't hide the difficulties I go through. You know, if I'm fighting with one of my boyfriends, I'll talk about it. Uh, so a lot of people will come to me and like ask me all these questions, and it got to a point where I was just like, I need to just start an advice column. I need to start something. Uh, So I started my own website that's like going to launch this year called thewildparty.club. I started a Facebook group called Ho Summer uh, (laughs) where like 300 people ended up joining and like every day we'll just be like, hey, like I have a crush on this girl, but I don't know how to tell like my other girlfriend that I like want to address this person. Uh, And I love talking about it. And so when I do panels and stuff, people will be like, you know, but how do you, or if it's a TV panel, it'll be like, okay, well, what do you think about like portrayals of sexuality and blah, blah, blah. Or if it's just like a comedy panel, people will inevitably be like, how do you tell jokes and not make your eight boyfriends mad? Um, which is, I don't, I make them mad all the time. <laughs> it's really good for a bringer show too. You know, you have people. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got a, a real deep, <laughs> yeah. but I, I definitely uh, think that the whole summer Facebook group, and we have some mutual Facebook friends, um, and I think there's definitely some overlap. So let's talk about that yeah, a little bit. What was the kind of unique and uh, just exciting potential and wonderfulness yeah. of that for you? Uh, I, I started that group because I realized that white men had this ability and privilege to be openly sexual in the most public of environments. I was watching this documentary called Mommy, Dead, and Dearest, and in the documentary – there, it's about this guy who, like, goes and kills this girl's mom, and he's like, we're in love, he's crazy, whatever. Uh, and in the documentary, there's, like, a news clip where this news anchor is talking about other times this guy had been arrested, and he's like, the guy had been previously arrested for evading a speeding ticket. He'd been previously arrested for masturbating in a McDonald's for nine hours. <laughs> And now Susan with the weather. <laughs> and they just moved on like it was the most normal thing a person could be arrested mm-hmm. for. And I was just sitting there like, wait, what? I have questions. My McDonald's doesn't have a Wi-Fi thing. Did he like load up the porn beforehand? Did he bring DVDs? They did not confirm that it was porn either. Is this straight memory? They did not confirm it was He's porn. He's just going off the memory bank. Yeah, like it, it was a work day. He put in a nine-hour work day. And then at the end of nine hours, someone was like, we need to call the police. Children have been here all day. That's an hour of overtime. Yeah. <laughs> And as, like, a black woman, I don't think I can masturbate in a McDonald's for two hours before someone would want to kick me out. So 
I decided after watching that that I would make that summer my McDonald's and I would masturbate all over it. As, as you should. <laughs> as I should, you know, as a black woman. I'm going to embrace that privilege. So I started the whole summer group and it went from just like me and my best friends to like 300 just like queer, non-binary people of color uh, talking about sex and dating and relationships. And it's amazing. What was surprising to you about it? Or, <laughs> again, oh, I, yeah. I want to respect people's privacy, but yeah, like... I, I, uh, yeah, a few people have given me permission to like share certain stories, but uh, I think for me, like I thought the group would be more like, oh, I like this person and I don't know how to like tell them and like, oh, I like want to open my relationship, but I don't know how to tell my boyfriend. And I kind of thought it would be like that. But actually, if you give 300 non-binary queer people of color the freedom to be themselves, like what you really get is more like, hey, I'm about to suck this dude's dick in the 7-Eleven bathroom. Ooh. Who wants me to go live? <laughs> like, there is a big difference between a 7-Eleven and a McDonald's. Yeah. You know? You know? Yeah. Like 7-Eleven is, I, I don't even blink twice at that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, how'd you get the keys? Did yeah. you both walk in at once? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of questions. Go live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just really, like, more freeing. Did and you I watch? Re- I did not. <laughs> oh, it was during the work day. It was literally at like a four o'clock p.m. I was definitely like on a train and was just like, I want. And I was like, don't do this. Is this not your civic duty, though? Have you not signed up for this responsibility? Uh, you know, I trusted the person. <laughs> they gave some great tips because uh, people were watching and actively like asking for tips. They were like, oh, what's that that you're doing with your tongue like on the tip? And I was just like, that's funny because they were asking for tips. <laughs> it's at, on the end. Yeah. <laughs> But like, yeah, it's it's more just like, I mean, I've discovered like kinks that I never was aware of and things I never would have imagined that people were into. Uh, but I think that like talking about sex openly and even the things that we think are gross about sex or dangerous or scary about sex, I think that's how we combat so much of the culture that we're in right now of this like rape culture and this just like patriarchy and misogyny that keeps us pretty entrenched in like just really gross and detrimental uh sexual roles for men and women and I think we start to break all that down when we just openly talk about stuff you know the important question I have is what's up with this dot club stuff this is this is some new shit that's like oh, I want to come we'll come back yeah, yeah. This, is, no, this is important journalistic like research yeah. I've, this just popped up it's like the second or third time they sound really fun places so from Ho Summer I, I had all these people who were reaching out to me with stories and just like the amazing stories being shared and uh, I started performing a kind of like joint found monologue from different stories in the Ho Summer group and people were like well, we want more of this uh, so I decided that the best thing to do would be to start a website uh, called thewildparty.club um, where I had all these people who hit me up for articles uh, and I, we're going to host them um, it was supposed to launch in January, but when you have like 30 different writers all over the world, things get backed up and are very difficult. Yeah. Um, but it's essentially a place where, you know, people who want sex advice that's not stuck in this binary of like man, woman, uh, people who want sex advice that isn't, you know, for just these like perfect typical body types, you know, like sometimes I look at like Cosmo and I'm like, yeah, it looks fun. But like I am like 30 pounds overweight and I cannot do that without breaking his neck. <laughs> so like, thanks so much, Cosmo. Um, so it's a place for people. We need who... to find guys with bigger necks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I put that in my Tinder profile and it didn't work. <laughs> just like a real thick just, neck. Just looking for a real that. thick neck. <laughs> 
<laughs> the rest is optional. Yeah, the rest is but a real strong neck is what I'm going for. That is but, a plus. Yeah. But yeah, I just... But yeah, I, from there, I just I started this site and I just want to create a place for people who who want to talk about sex, who aren't sure how to address certain things or who, you know, just have kind of been given this traditional sex advice and it's never been what they wanted. Uh, the wildparty.club is a place for that. When you were less comfortable talking about this stuff, where did you go to for advice? Uh, I went to... I think my my instinct to start a Facebook group was because, like, for me, I learned about all of that stuff in, like, live journal groups. Oh, shout out. For me, yes, yeah, shout out live journal. <laughs> I'm not even hip. This was, oh, wow. Give, give the rundown. How old are you? I'm 25. Young. He's young. We were, okay. Well, I'm the same, but we were right on the tail end of the live journal era. Okay, wow. So, so this is not a blog? Live journal. It's like a blog. So live journal, <laughs> greatest journal, dead journal. I had them all. And it was like you had a private a blog that you could make private or public, and then people could follow you. It's kind of like Tumblr, uh-huh. but less cool looking. Okay. It was like mostly all writing. Yeah. And, like some embedded and then sometimes pictures. like quizzes or pictures. Uh, and then you could join, like, groups where different people could all post in the main thread. Uh-huh. Uh, so people – or, like, just submit questions. So, like, I had different live journals and graded – like, I had a school live journal where my classmates could follow me. But then I had a secret greatest journal where I'd talk about, like, how I secretly had crushes on girls and stuff and, like, how I started watching the L Word. And then from there I would, like, join all these L Word live journal groups. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, like, I feel like that was a vibrant so, community. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, just, it was. Just, just in terms of my historical time line this is post chat room pre-blog social media yeah yeah, yeah like you, hit this, it, you hit it right you, up yeah you nailed it <laughs> like it it was like before blogs like right after like aol chat rooms and like you could you like all i still have friends from like my live journal in seventh grade and like we've never met but they've just been reading my deepest thoughts since i was in seventh grade and we're facebook friends now i would say there's definitely some live journal myspace overlap Oh, for like sure. They kind of they buffed okay. up against each okay. other. Yeah, yeah. Right. I used to like little. edit my HTML on my live journal to match my, my MySpace. Ah, it was, yeah. it was a, a MySpace accompaniment. Yeah, like how MySpace, MySpace had a blog feature. It was mm-hmm. kind of like that, but like other people could like join your, your blog. Okay. Is that where you started writing? Uh, yeah, that was where I started writing. Again, I actually, shout out to Live Journal. Shout out to Live Journal. <laughs> didn't even know. I, I remember the moment <laughs> I decided to start writing. Uh, I was like a pretty nerdy, not very cool like seventh grader, but I was like super into Janis Joplin and like the doors and like classic rock. Mm-hmm. And I like spent this day and I remember I had to be like 14, 15 years old or something. And I was just like listening to Janis Joplin. And then I just like got on Live Journal and wrote this like huge essay about Janis Joplin and what she meant to me and why her music was amazing. And this girl who was a senior at my school like read it and commented and was like, this was so good that I'm going to go listen to Janis Joplin right now. <laughs> and then like a few weeks later, she was like, Ashley, I'm so into Janis Joplin now. And I was just like, whoa, I did it. I did. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like shit, I'm an influencer. Like, wow. Couldn't I, quite get your mom, but. Yeah. but you, <laughs> like, wow, I wrote this thing and this girl like loved it so much. And now I changed her whole life yeah. because, you know, and it's like, okay, she got to like really get into me and Bobby McGee or whatever, but. <laughs> It felt really cool. And so that's like what inspired me to keep writing. Yeah, it's like a place of power of like here is a and power not in a negative way of like all this shit is just coming at me constantly. Here's like a moment where I can press pause and respond. Yeah. You know, and if someone reads it, then they're getting my like the the whole response. Yeah, there's something 
cool about that. Yeah, and just like I, I love introducing people to new stuff. I, that's why I like writing about TV and culture because it's like, you know, I like talking to people who are like, TV's stupid. Like I would never watch a ball. And then I'm just like, okay, but have you watched this, this, and this? And then two weeks later when they're like, oh, my God, I'm obsessed with Breaking Bad and The Wire. And I'm like, told you, TV's awesome. TV is awesome. TV Can is, we talk about TV, how awesome TV, TV is? TV's amazing. Like when you don't have the commercials, it's really a great art form. Oh, yeah. It's the commercials that makes it. I just finished. Or places where commercials are. I just finished Lost again. Wow. Hey, did you ever watch Did you watch oh, yeah. Lost back in yeah, the day? I watched Lost back Did you watch your name? I have yet. My uh, my partner, Rosie, like jumped in end of season two, and I, I jumped on board in the middle of season three. <laughs> we were trying to make it before. We, people who listen already know about this. Yeah, I've talked yeah. about it. This, is, this has been a saga. <laughs> <laughs> You're still healing. But what, what she was so amazed by, because she never watched it when it was live on TV, like that is a show with the most cliffhangers in the history of cliffhangers. Oh, yeah. And I watched it live. Like every yeah. week the show ended, I and left you. my parents' room where the TV was and just went to sleep. Yeah. And then waited seven days seven to days. find out what happened. And you had to catch it at that time. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. if you missed it, like hope for a Someone's rerun at some point. But they were really yeah. too hot on 24 and was like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's actually what got me kind of into TV writing other than like school was that like – I got super, super into Mad Men. Mm. <laughs> and like I couldn't, like in between episodes, I'd be like, I have all these thoughts. I need to talk about it. And I started going to the AV Club and like uh, Tom and Lorenzo, they were a blog at the time mm. that would like cover every single episode and talk about like everything from like the clothes people were wearing. And so like for me, that was what we had in the in-between of TV episodes was just like the internet <laughs> being like, Okay, well, here's a bunch of nerds like talking about a five second part in Mad Men that you like obsessed over. What was it about Mad Men for you that you liked? Because it's so <sighs> like slow and internal. Yeah, I just mean, like, I these are, I, it's like these are men's heads. Yeah, I don't think I could have. I don't think I could have watched it week to week. I, I, did. I, oh, I, I did the first. I started watching it the third season, so I binged the first three seasons when I had my wisdom teeth taken out, and then watched the rest of it live. And hated watching it live because I was just like, I need like I need Don Draper. But I think that's what did it for me with Mad Men was Don Draper. Yeah. I've never related to a character so much in my life. Which Interesting. Says a lot about me, a lot of horrible things about me. Uh but just Do you like, feel like you're just and this is turning low-key into a therapy session, yeah. so I'll pull it back. But do you feel like you're just trying to keep it all together while it's all falling apart? A little bit. Like mm-hmm. there's this scene where where Peggy is like, Don, like, appreciate me, give me the things I deserve. And Don just yells, that's what the money is for. <laughs> and he said that. And I was like, I've said that word for word. <laughs> I've literally been like, I don't understand what you're proud. That's what the money's for. <laughs> you were misquoting Jerry Maguire at the time. Yeah. <laughs> show me the money. Wait, show, no, that's what the money is, right? That's the line from Jerry Maguire. <laughs> no. show, me the money. Yeah, show, show me the money. Yeah, you got to get it straight. You know, yeah. It's important. <laughs> Wait, which, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I think like I actually I went into advertising because I binged Mad Men. Uh, <laughs> I, I bet got, you a lot of people have. Yeah, I, I got an internship at uh, Digitas digital ad agency, graduated college, went straight into a media agency. I do what Harry Crane, Crane, Crane does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a media buyer and strategist as my day job. Oh, still. And still, yeah. Uh, I still do that. You're like a person with a lot of jobs. I am a person with a lot of jobs. Why do you think you have so many jobs? I, I just fear being poor. Mm. And I'm in desperate need of attention all the time. Shut, shut they don't up. all have to be psychological answers. I'm shut, sorry, I keep taking it there. Shout out to attention. <laughs> so, to, to so is, is the like my perception? It even goes beyond the show. Is the advertising world as like psychologically manipulative as we think them to be? 
Oh yeah, it feels absolutely. like an attack on humanity. It absolutely is. I mean, when I, I, <laughs> I don't want to get you fired. I, no, like, no, I, I switched. I'm on publisher side now, so like there's agencies and the publisher. So now I I work for a publisher and like pretty much sell ad space and like sponsor content. Uh, but on the other side, when I worked for brands, like brands would come to me, like big brands would be like, "Hey, we're a fast food chain. We want to hypnotize people. Yeah, pretty much like, hey, we're not legally allowed to target 13 year olds with like our crappy fast food." But could you find a way to, like, sneak target 13-year-olds with our crappy fast food? Mm-hmm. And I just would be like, this is my job to do this, is to figure out, like, how do we reach 13-year-olds illegally without, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and it wears at you. It's and... like, what you're doing so far with this guy masturbating for nine hours is the wrong path. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is a bad social media strategy. You don't want that you going You don't want to do this. <laughs> you need to really tap out of that demographic. <laughs> yeah. You got the wrong demo here. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, like, my job to, like, literally study the media habits of, like, these people that they want to reach and, like, truly understand, like, I'm the person who's reading your Facebook data hmm. to see if I can serve you an ad. But is it, is it, like, just more that metadata of, like, this is where your eyes are or is it, like, where is your heart and your fears and your – Like, how oh, deep are you like, in it? Yeah, like, your hearts and your fears yeah. and, like, what do you talk about and, like, you know – like Facebook puts you in categories based on like the things you like, the thing like words you use the most in mm. your statuses. Mm-hmm. Like you're completely being defined by all of that metadata. And it's scary and gross and weird. And you want to think it's for good things, but it's literally just so someone can be like, eat this taco. Do you think it, do you think <laughs> like, it works? Because I've never bought something off Facebook, off a Facebook ad. Yeah, I, I have. I think it's indirect. <laughs> I think it does work. I think advertising in general works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think like we could all probably think back to like some ad or like ad campaign that resonated with us or like some way we were convinced to do something. Yeah, Mad um, Men makes me want to drink. Yeah. Like that, it, like I see them with a drink and I'm like, I would I like would, a drink. I want to look cool like that. Yeah. Which is hilarious to think about because. Because they're alcoholics. But oh, yeah. because the show is like critical, it's like right. a critique of the ins- insertion of tobacco. Yeah. In like public media while they were inserting alcohol without critiquing al- the al- alcohol as a substance yeah, or no. as a well, That's because like even today in, in advertising we still drink that much. <laughs> that's like, true. We, when I when I was at an agency like literally I <laughs> I would get bottles for Christmas and I just remember like most days my supervisor being like we're going to drink at lunch <laughs> and just like <laughs> I was like this is my life this is advertising. <laughs> yeah, so that's like kind of an odd world to be in when you're also critical yeah. 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 How do you balance that? Uh, it's a real like separation of church and state for me <laughs> is that it's like the day job and then like my career is kind of yeah. how I view it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that would sound so – my supervisor would be so mad if she heard me say that. Because um, <laughs> that's crazy because like – You won't tag her in the metadata. Yeah, let's, let's not tag her. When people have those type of separations, it's usually like these are s- separate. But this is like – just separate parts of your brain within the same world. Like yeah. it's the, it's the, the same space and you have to be like, yeah, I guess totally like different for parts. me, like the writing and comedy is like my freedom from that world mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, I don't have to think about like brands or their target audiences. I just get to address the culture and I get to address the work and I get to write and say what I want to say, unless my editor hates it, <laughs> but I'm not like swaying to the demands of like a target demographic yeah. or like some brand guidelines. So to that point about like not feeling beholden to that demographic, when you're doing stand up, uh, who in like your ideal room is in the crowd? Oh, ah, uh, you know I. And is it just Coles? 
<laughs> well, first of all, yes, my ideal room is Kohl's. You can catch me at Kohl's every Wednesday at Open Mic. Uh, pretty much you can catch me at Kohl's anytime. But yeah, I, I do like Kohl's as a room because I think it's one of the most um, diverse open mics. People come from the north side. People come from the south side. Pilsen to, the, to do this show. Uh, you know, Cole is really good about making sure that like women host it. Uh, so it's a very like femme-centered open mic, even though it's like a really intimidating open mic when you have people like Hannibal Burris come through or like Shane Torres. Um, but it's one of those those mics where you like really got to prove yourself. Uh, but when I think about like my perfect crowd, I, I don't like to think that my work like caters to a certain mm-hmm. audience. But like when I look out at a perfect crowd, I want to see people of color and I want to see white people and I want to see men and non-binary people and just kind of everyone like I I want to always perform for for diverse crowds. Yeah, com- you know, the the like old adage of like the two most segregated rooms are like or two most segregated hours are like Saturday at 11 p.m. and Sunday at 11 a.m. Like comedy, you know, yeah. I don't have to do the the whole spiel, but you <laughs> know, it's white comedy and there's black comedy. <laughs> See, white comics be like this. <laughs> you always be like this. Black rooms be like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. White rooms be like yeah. So, you know, and, and you're talking about like spaces like Coles and you know, some I've seen some other rooms in the city that on like baseline are different from that, but they're mostly not yeah. um, folks from Chicago. So how do you think about that? How do you, in, in your own creating, think about like your relationship to the city? Yeah, uh, I definitely have a lot of Chicago jokes. Um, I've lived here for five years now, but mm. my had a weird thing where I like grew up partially in Chicago, partially in Rockford, Illinois. Parents were separated, but like I spent a lot of my summers in Chicago um, so like and then came back like five years ago. And so like Chicago's just been this place where like I've been shaped and like grown and I've like mm-hmm. experienced so many of the horrible dating stories that I joke about um, that for me, it's like I'm thankful for this city that like has shaped me and like this comedic eye that I have. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, Chicago, you shaped this comedic eye that I have. <laughs> so as you were split or as you were coming back and forth, what part of the city was like home? Uh, the south side, Inglewood. Okay, yeah, Inglewood. Okay. Uh, that's where like my stepdad lived. My grandpa's family is all down there. So like, yeah, pretty much. It was it, yeah, and like Rockford. If you are familiar Home with of Rockford, the peaches. yes, the Rockford Peaches. Is this uh, so, uh, like baseball team? This is yeah, in a league of their own. A league of their own. Oh. Rosie O'Donnell, Madonna. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the yeah. only thing I know. It's about based on the Rockford Peaches, which was like the first uh, like all female baseball team. Yeah, he has uh, an extensive amount of obscure baseball knowledge. If well, you name me a state, I can tell you a minor league baseball team in it. We don't have to test me now. <laughs> but, yeah, the Rock for Peaches. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, uh, home to tre- Cheap Trick. Interesting. Cheap Trick is from there. We have an entire museum dedicated to them. <laughs> wow. uh, but, like, Rockford actually has more crime per capita than Chicago does. It's, like, this – it's the Flint, Michigan of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And people don't really, like, see it that way. So it was, like, you know, I grew up in this kind of, like, lower income, like, poverty environment – but then I went to like this really amazing college, came back to Chicago where I worked in advertising and like all of a sudden like lived in Logan Square, this part of Chicago that I had never really been to. Like my stepdad yeah. would take me to concerts at Logan Auditorium when I was growing up and he'd always be like, this is a dangerous neighborhood. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm just like, wait, I live over here and there's like a nice coffee shop down the street and like what? And it's this weird feeling where I understand that I'm gentrifying the area, but I'm also like part of the area and feel like I'm part of this community. Um, So it's like, and I don't know, I think my comedy kind of plays between that divide too, where I'm constantly just like, I understand that like 
I have this critical eye as like a queer woman of color that people want to talk to. But I also understand that I'm a human who makes mistakes and I'm like a shitty person and being able to like critique myself while also being able to advocate for myself is like what I try to do with my comedy. Yeah. And the like stuff. Self-differential thing is always easy. Well, not easy. It's always funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like seeing someone on stage. People, yeah. Not, People you know, always want to laugh at you. <laughs> right. And if you set them up for it, they'll fucking dunk oh, that yeah. one down they'll for you. They'll just be like, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree. But be, being figuring out how to do that on stage while also like not only being the the punchline is a that's like a, a cool balance to strike. Yeah. Like I, I hope I do it well. I don't know. I, seem to book shows and people seem to laugh at me <laughs> you do book show you're out here <laughs> i'm out here how can I'm people book you by the way if they wanted to let's just uh, get that if in you want to book me just head to my twitter at a ray a r a y y a y head to the instagram head to my facebook ashley ray shoot me an email ashley ray harris at gmail.com head to my website a ray a.com we're just sprinkling the plugs yeah a ray a.com head over just shoot me an email shoot nice me, you know yeah, yeah yeah slide into those dms and which just, is what i did to book this. yeah you, you've mentioned college twice Where, where'd you go uh, I went to Williams College in uh, Western Massachusetts. It's a liberal arts school, NESCAC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shout out to NESCAC. <laughs> Shout out to Div 3. <laughs> why uh, did you end up there? Uh, they, How did you end up there? Uh, it's, a, it's a really good school. It, it It's like Forbes' number one school in the country, U.S. News, like number one liberal arts mm-hmm. school. And it, it's like the second school, oldest school after Harvard. And it was just this really prestigious place. And I was like this poor kid from Rockford who was like, whoa. Like, I went to visit the school. They flew me out there. And I was just like, this is like Hogwarts. <laughs> uh, and at the time, it was a no-loan school. So they were like, you'll come here. You'll pretty much get a free full ride. You won't have any student loans after you graduate. And you, I couldn't say no to that. That's, that's a pretty they, good offer. That's how they that's do how they, it. They, they, yeah. they loop you in. That's how they, that's how they, they get were you. like, no loans. Like, oh, we got you. You get to live like at Hogwarts. What they don't tell you is that it's 2,000 kids in a mountain range. The closest grocery store is like 35 minutes away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was just a lot of time like in my dorm, in the mountains, in the in the winter, just like trying to make people laugh. So. How, how's that, does that resonate on any degree? Not the mountain range part, but the rest. And they're trying to make people laugh. I, I, I could give a damn about <laughs> people at college. <laughs> but I did spend a lot of time by myself, so. <laughs> we can relate on that. Yeah. But no, nah, like, we, we went to a liberal arts school. We went to Grinnell College. Oh, yeah. And so the whole. The, the diamond whole, in the cornfield, right? You know the jewel of the prairie? The of the prairie. Oh, my yeah, God. You are deep. <laughs> this liberal arts school game. <laughs> but not nah, the whole, I like. consider Grinnell, so. The whole, like, yeah, here's some money. And come on. And yeah. It's like, all right. For sure. Now I'll be here. I'll try it out. <laughs> we, we called ourselves the purple bubble. Y'all are very purple. I've driven through Williamstown in Western Why? Mass. <laughs> it's a just, little, I just he's know. just obscure like this. He just yeah. He's the nooks and crannies of America. He but I also that. realized... The, the way that I, like, have these very obscure things, all of my friends, like, the people I feel closest to are the same way, just about different things for each of them. So, like, there are so many, like, little things that people don't know that you know. And then, like, I have a friend who, like, knows, like, everything Yiddish. <laughs> like, a friend who, like, knows, just, like, everyone has, like, their thing. Yeah. And uh, I'm just trying to suck it all in. So um, that's what I'm doing over here. I'm very impressed that you drove through Williamstown. <laughs> yeah. It was very purple. It's incredibly purple. Like, yeah. And that, that, the song, you know, where they're like, Purple Mountain Majesty, they're writing about Williams because <laughs> you look up and you're just like, oh, yeah, those are purple mountains all around me all the time, forever. Like the, there's purple flowers or How something? How serious are you like, about this? Uh, oh, I'm like, it's purple mountains. I was just talking about like the banners. Oh, you, but also the, mountains the banners. Are yeah, like there's purple mountains. It's the way that the like... 
the setting sun reflects on the mountains uh-huh. makes them look purple. Have you considered doing marketing for their communications department? Because that is a very good sell. <laughs> I'm pretty beautiful. sure they they already use like we we're literally called the purple bubble. Yeah, that's true. They're really playing <laughs> and, up like the we call it the purple valley. And our colors are purple and gold, and our mascot is a purple and gold cow. And the school song is Purple Rain. I wish. Oh man, did they downplay Purple Rain? Was Purple Rain not a part of the? Equation? Yeah. Oh no no no. <laughs> oh, that's that's a absurd. I don't travesty. remember our school song anymore. <laughs> that's okay. The mountains. It's called the mountains. <laughs> the mountains we should make everyone who comes on the show sing their school <laughs> song at the close. So yeah. before we get out of here, I want to go. I want to <laughs> yeah. go back and pull us back on track a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're talking a little bit about people coming up to you based off of either what you're saying on stage or on, on social media, your your openness there, and that being like an effective combatant to like insidious, ingrained violence that we carry around in us. Um, one, how do you feel in that role? <laughs> As like, because I know actually from poets, them talking about like getting on stage and saying like talking about pain, moments of trauma, and then people come up and be like, man, that really resonated because I had this experience. Let me tell you for 15 minutes yeah. all about it. And they're like, I didn't sign up to receive yeah, that. I was be, giving it to, to you. To be your therapist or to, you know, I'm not an expert. And I I caveat everything that, that I do when it comes to, like, advice and stuff with, like, I'm not an expert. I can only speak from my own experiences and, like, my own growth mm-hmm. and what I've learned Um, Like, you know, running like a lot of panels and workshops where I invite like actual sex experts to come talk. um, And I just try to like put those practices into play. Um, But I I don't mind it. Like, I don't mind when people like will just come up to me at like Kohl's and be like, oh, my God, I read your Facebook and I saw what you said about this. And oh, my God, I loved it. And then I immediately like told my boyfriend he couldn't do this anymore. (laughs) And... You know, like, I like that. I like seeing, like, people being motivated or inspired or, like, feeling that they can step into their own agency yeah. because, like, you know, they see someone else doing it. Uh, but I just always say, like, I'm a comic. Yeah. Like, it does always reach a point where someone is like, yo, Ashley, like, this is serious, blah, blah, blah. And I just have to step back and be like, yo, this is jokes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's still jokes. It's still entertainment. How did you get to the point of being comfortable? Like, Or, like, was that always comfortable? How did that become like a thing for you? Yeah, is really what I'm asking. I, for those who honestly, don't follow yeah. Ashley on Facebook, <laughs> if you and don't Twitter, follow you me should. on Facebook or Twitter, first of all, you're lacking. <laughs> it's very the funny. Chicago Reader did vote me the number two best Chicagoan to follow on Twitter after oh. e-viewing. Oh, yeah, wow. after you're, e-viewing. you're in great company. Yeah. so you we, know we're just making our way down the list. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I think Miriam was on there a couple years ago too, so we're, we're yeah. doing pretty good. And I think it was really honestly, it it was working in advertising. So I started working in advertising and I immediately saw how like Facebook and Twitter were these tools for ad agencies to just Mm -hmm. like collect your metadata and to like try to understand like when you go on vacation based on pictures you post of when Mm -hmm. we should target you with this. And I just thought it was gross how like, you know, in one industry, these platforms have this use. But I think in our personal lives, Facebook and all these social media platforms have a use that means something to us where we want to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the best way to kind of like buck that system and to be like, you know, screw you and and the data you're trying to collect about me was to kind of turn it into a performance platform where I could just like 
live out my life in a way that was like not meant for this this algorithm i think a lot of times like the facebook algorithm doesn't know what to do with me (laughs) and i always have to apologize to my friends who are like i open facebook and it's just like your pose over and over and over again that'll happen that does happen (laughs) i'm sorry Uh, (laughs) yeah where it's like things like oh i don't know it seems like the people like this and i think they're trying to relate to her but really it's like comedy and content and like you know i'm trying i'm trying to say something more than like the typical that goes beyond the typical use of facebook or like twitter um so that's what really motivated it for me that's so good he said babe your writing needs some work what (laughs) and then he said i don't understand the sentence at all and the sentence is easy to understand yeah that's when you need a good editor and a a better boyfriend (laughs) That seems like you're asking for trouble, though. Like, because that doesn't sound like, well, let's not meddle. <laughs> was, to the point of what we were just talking about. <laughs> I'm just going to text him, we're breaking up now. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you didn't even do it in a poem. You did it in a text. You've grown so much. I've grown. More direct. This is growth, as I was saying. <laughs> But yeah, so seeing it, I can't come. I also recorded, started recording about halfway through that. <laughs> um, let me pull it back on track. But yeah, so with that being something that you are comfortable doing, you see this value in, and you you're kind of like creatively reusing these tools. Um, sometimes comics who are reusing tools or ideas or so, or you know tropes or stuff like that and subverting them. Sometimes get the like, man, they're laughing at the wrong reason, at the wrong thing, or they're laughing for the wrong reason type thing. Yeah. Have do you feel that at all? Do you feel like it's some people, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you know, I do. I do a lot of rooms. I I play. I try to do shows all over the city because you don't want to get stuck into being like seen as like a Logan Square comic or you know like anything like that. So I I do shows in Wrigleyville, and those audiences are very different. I get very different laughs. Yeah. Um. I, but that's still like a perspective I kind of appreciate. I like to know how those people are going to perceive this material, uh, even though I know they're not coming to it with the same kind of point of view that I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't fault them. I mean, I can fault them and I will fault them <laughs> for like being Wrigleyville bros who like have this upbringing. Um, but, you know, I, I still try to like I stay true to my content and my voice. And in the end, it it usually is like me forcing my point of view into their faces and being like, oh, you thought you were laughing at this, but this is what I'm about. Yeah, and you got to be able to make people laugh. Like, that's yeah. that's the job. Yeah, I think, like, my most divisive joke is uh, <laughs> I've done this joke at, like, queer shows and, like, body positive, like, joke shows and, like, stand-up shows and stuff like that. And, it like, the room will go silent. People do not <laughs> laugh. Like, I have to be like, oh, and then people will be like, okay, I'll laugh. It's okay. Uh, but I do this joke in Wrigleyville and it kills every time. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, I have a new, I have a lot of New Year's resolutions for this year. Uh, you know, I realized I need to stop drinking. After I threw up so hard, I burst blood vessels in my eyes and my eyes are filled with blood. And I also realized that I needed to lose weight because I realized I was overweight when guys started telling me that I was super good at blowjobs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no, did Wrigleyville Bros. <laughs> you did laugh. That That's the test. Or we're either Wrigleyville Bros or good hosts. I can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> but I did that joke at a body positive show, and it was just silence. And I was just like, 
that joke kills in Wrigleyville. And then they all started laughing. <laughs> and then I've done that joke in Wrigleyville. And before I even finish it, like they are just clapping and like rolling on the floor <laughs> laughing. Um, and I don't mind like playing with that that kind yeah. of you know perspective because like as an artist, I'm never going to have complete control over my work or how it's perceived. Have you been getting a lot of like now more than ever booking requests? Yes, in, since the Weinstein's the <laughs> broke and this whole Me Too era and all that. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to say it's a good time to be a black queer femme comic, <laughs> um, but there's definitely a lot of people who are finally starting to realize we need to book more women, we need to book more women of color, uh, we need more queer people on this bill. Um, but I even mean know. specifically around like thematically. Oh yeah, like thematically. Yeah, a little bit. It's kind of weird where people are at this weird phase of like, I don't know how we can joke about that or if we can joke about it. But if you have a joke about it, like give it a shot. (laughs) Um, And so like it is interesting to like have spaces and they're only, you know, that's something where it's like, I'm not going to go try a Harvey Weinstein joke in Wrigleyville. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But, you know. Just for everyone's sake. That's for, not yeah, nobody idea. wants that. Any comics listening. And don't do it. Don't. Or kudos to you. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I'll film it. Let me see what happens. <laughs> but there's, it's a really interesting time in Chicago where there are, like, queer comedy shows. And there are these spaces where you can, like, try that kind of different material. And, like, you know, I am someone who's a victim of assault and abuse. And I do have jokes about it, about my experience specifically. And there aren't, you know, rooms necessarily where I always feel comfortable trying that material. But I do feel like lucky to be a comic who's coming up with with more options uh, and with more like women led open mics where like I can try that material in a kind of safe space. Yeah. So and again, we don't have to get into this. And I don't even mean on the personal, but like, what the fuck do we do? That's really just and I know there's the there are answers to that question. We don't have to get into all of it. But just like individually how have you all been thinking uh, you know specifically in the context of the Aziz stuff breaking the last couple yeah. days and that being a more complicated in some ways at least in the response to it being way more complex uh, yeah. I, th- I think it's definitely a more complex situation um you know i i think it's it's not complex from a standpoint of like he f- did something wrong right. uh he he put this girl in a situation that she did not want to be in and like invaded her and her privacy and, and her safety. And that's not good, but it is this weird thing where it's like, you know, I I saw a headline today that was like, well, it wasn't illegal. And, you know, like he can't really be punished for this, but I don't think the lesson always has to be like, there's a punishment. I think like there's a danger in conflating like someone like Aziz with like Louis C.K. and kind of grouping it all in together is like this one movement, like this one Me Too movement and expecting like every person who's been called out in that movement to face the same consequences. I don't think that makes sense. I think we have to understand these gray areas where we see like, you know, what Louis C.K. did. He ruined people's careers. Like he stopped so many women from pursuing comedy. He like literally hindered these women. Uh, Hmm. Whereas like Aziz, like, went on this horrible date with this girl and, like, infringed upon her, and that's awful, too. But, you know, it doesn't have these, like, ramifications towards, like, an entire industry. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's the danger when we're, like, conflating everything into a movement. But I think, like, for me, what I'm doing is just, like, trying to always embrace my own agency, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to encourage others to embrace that agency. And I think, like, as a culture, it's not just, like, telling men you need to seek enthusiastic consent, uh, but it's also, like, if you're not getting enthusiastic consent, like, asking why that is. Uh, And it's also getting men to realize that, like, not only do women have the agency to deny or give enthusiastic consent, 
Uh, but also you have to respect that agency, yeah. you know. And I think for women, that's like the biggest thing is that like, yeah, we would all love to like be in that situation that Grace was in and be like, screw you, Aziz, I'm leaving. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that like as a woman, you're constantly terrified. Like, is this person going to hurt me? Are they going to like harm me if I say no? Like, I, I'm just going to try to be polite and go along with it. Um, and what we really need to do is focus on like men realizing like that agency, that ability to say no and like telling you to like get the hell out is entirely fair and valid. And that you hold all kinds of power that you don't know you – I'll speak from, like, realizing there are all kinds of power that you, that I'm holding that yeah. I don't know I'm even holding in the first place. So it's – yeah, trying to – so the, figuring out why it would be challenging to be like, no, fuck you, I'm leaving. And, and also yeah. to, to your point about um, the, the false, like, universality with which we're tr- attempting to respond yeah. um, is like, you know – to try to address, to try to separate addressing harm and abuse from law and punishment, you know, and to get more to the human aspects of how to repair, restore, yeah, and then just be- because if the measure is if it's illegal or not, or if it's prosecutable, or yeah. can they get fired, or yeah, or like pun- how yeah, do they lose their Netflix special? Do they lose lose their show? Like when it just comes down to okay, but what's the so punishment? The yeah, we miss the point. We miss you know kind of the causes or how we got here if we're just focused on well okay what do we take from them and even you know with me too I think it's I think it's too easy to let Louis C.K. off the hook by simply saying oh he lost his effects show and he like lost all these production credits and it's like yeah that's a step and he should but at the same time are we like forgetting the women who right. like lost their careers are we forgetting like the, the kind of ramifications on the industry that this man had for like decades mm-hmm. um you know, and we just kind of go, oh, well, he got what he deserved. Let's go on to the next story now. Right. Um, but are we really centering those who are harmed? Yeah. Yeah. I just figured it was worth bringing up. You know, this yeah. is like a thing that has been on my mind and been trying to figure out how to yeah, talk to. Yeah, so, all day I've been Outside of what I just disease. said, my answer is I just stay home. <laughs> <laughs> also, I try to just stay home. Just stay home. Yeah. If there's one piece that we hope, you you know, if you've made it to this point, just stay home. Just stay home. Just stay home. <laughs> just, uh. So before we get out of here, I think we should do the most important part. Oh, it's time. Of, of what we do. Oh, here. I'm really enjoying having this table here. <laughs> There's no table in the other <laughs> Yeah, I know this is the only world that you know, but other place, we're much more cramped. Um, so perfect segue, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you threw the alley-oop. So we, we had this long conversation. Did you just call it an alley-oop? I said alley-oop. Alley-oop? What do you call it? What are you, say- what are you saying it should be? Alley-oop. Alley-oop. Isn't it alley-oop? Yeah. Alley-oop, alley-oop. I'm just saying. I think it's a potato-potato type thing. <laughs> yeah, it's both. potato. <laughs> it's potato. Nobody says yeah, nobody potato. Says potato. <laughs> I do agree with, I do agree with potato-potato debate. <laughs> but now, I would even extend that to tomato-tomato. Yeah. No, tomato. I don't know. Anyway. I grew up in basketball courts. So <laughs> yeah, I'm... Um, fuck, now nah, nah, it's no longer a perfect segue. Nah, but... So the, we are at the, the most important part of our work here. We've had a, a, an amazing conversation. I think we've learned so much from you. Uh, but the cornerstone of our show is actually about accountability. And it's aggressive accountability. It's actually about <laughs> beef. So there, there's a sect of the world uh, that at least in my lifetime, I believe, has run amok. And, and we are here to put a stop to it. Mm-hmm. We, we, we are starting the momentum into the other direction. And this, this world that is... So wild is R&B singers. Ooh. So every week, we like to ask our guests to start beef with an R&B singer. And why? We are starting beef in these R&B streets. 
you know, the example is always if in hip hop you do something out of pocket or you step too far, you say something wrong, there's yeah. going to be a diss song or there's going to be some type of ramifications and repercussions. Yeah. The R&B singers have seen too much rope. Yeah. And we're here to pull them back. We got to so pull them you back. Are, you are on the spot. No time to prepare. From any no era. Time. Okay. Any from era. Motown through Trey Songs. And on and beyond. Trey songs and beyond. <laughs> Trey songs and beyond. Ooh, that's that's gonna be somebody's R- history R&B. book on music. Trey songs and beyond. R and B singers. The cultural and development of R and B. Okay, okay. I am gonna go with. You know, I'm gonna go with Marvin Gaye. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, there we go. hear me out. There we go. No, I'm <laughs> ready. I'm ready for it all. I'm open to all and, our And I'll people. admit, no, maybe. No one's sacred. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my I'll, God. Admit, <laughs> I'll admit, maybe Marvin, Marvin, you know, he had his beef in his life and he had to deal with it. Oh, it's not too soon to make Marvin Gaye's dead jokes, right? Like, we're we're good on that. I think, the, I think we've already voted on that one. Yeah, You're, yeah. Good. You're in the clear. Um, but, you know, I think Marvin Gaye was incredibly abusive towards women mm, and, yeah, like, true. just See? had all these issues, like, of abuse and, like, beat women and was horrible to, like, his wives and stuff. Yeah. But, like, instead everybody's just like, oh, Marvin Gaye. It's like, before my lifetime. Yeah, like, peace, love, the gap. And it's like we just totally forget <laughs> all of the, like, horrible things. And then he did have, like, a really horrific and tragic death. R.I.P. Very sad. Oh, no. But at the same time, I don't think we, like. <laughs> I don't think you really want him to rest in peace. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I don't, that's a very like, disingenuous. Yeah, he's dead by like, now yeah. anyway. I'm like, yeah, he had some bangers. <laughs> he had some bangers. But at the same time, like, you know, Marvin, like, I wouldn't want to hang out with him. Mm. I like that. That's see that you're. This right. is the you're in the pocket of R and B beef. You you get it. Yeah. You get it. You that that was real. Otherwise, my answer was Trey songs. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's uh, let's get out of here. Where can folks find your work? Where can they see you get up soon? Other than Wednesday at Coles? Yeah. Uh, Probably just follow me on Facebook, Ashley Ray. Uh, go to my website, follow me on Twitter. It's all A Ray A R A Y Y A Y. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everything is that. Um, and you can see me Friday, February 9th yep. uh, at Steppenwolf. I will be performing with You're Being Ridiculous. It's a live lit storytelling show. Uh, we're going to have some funny stuff to say. Wonderful. That's thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. It was a pleasure. We are at Ergo Radio everywhere. This guy over here is Ergo Daniel. I'm Ergo Daniel. I'm Damon with the underscore. Don't forget it. Holding a- on to a tiny AF. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much all we got to say. And we'll be back next week. We're doing a uh, a fun little run of Ergo in New York interviews. Let's see. Let's see how this starting uh, next week. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for tuning in. Much love to the people. Peace. <laughs>